True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is way back! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes Here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. What's up and welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, September 5th. I am Frank Stample, joined by Scott White, and hope everybody had a fantastic Labor Day weekend. Today on the show, lots to talk about. Big news from the weekend, including an update on Shohei Otani, the most added players, both hitters and pitchers. Trey Turner is on a tear. Turner. Before we get started, help us out by liking this video and subscribing on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. I know football is coming. Everyone's excited. I get it. But we're still going to be here doing five podcasts per week throughout September. Maybe you got eliminated from your head-to-head matchups, whatever it might be. I would encourage you to stick around. We're obviously going to talk about a bunch of prospects in September and what they're doing and We'll have some thoughts for next season as well, some very early 2024 thoughts. So just some reasons to uh, stick around here throughout the end of the season. Scott, you and I are officially enemies for the next two weeks as we square off in the semifinals of the Podcast Points League. Are you ready? I hope so. I set a lineup. Let's check in. Oh, boy. You're up one point. It's going to be a slobber knocker, man. (laughs) One point. This is a two-week playoff matchup because that's... That's how that's how we always do it for the head to head leagues. Reduce the element of luck a little bit, reduce the impact of two start pitchers a little bit. Uh, So this is going to it's going to take a while to sort this out. I am the higher seeded team. I had a first round by you advanced to round two to face me. And so far, you're up one point. So far, so good. You, you had-, had Merrill Kelly. I had Cole Reagan. They kind of <laughs> canceled each other out. They really did, man. Merrill Kelly, 31 fantasy points. We'll talk about him later on, of course. We'll talk about Cole Reagan's 29 and a half fantasy points here on Monday. 
Let's give a shout out to the other people who are uh, still left in the playoffs as well. Kyle and Aubrey, uh, they're on the other side of the bracket, so they'll be facing one of you and me in the finals here, Scott. And in the For the People podcast league, the final four, Chris G, Corey, Alfredo, and Scotty Dub still alive. I got knocked out last week by Chris. Not nice. Anyway, let's talk about uh, the weekend. Some highlights here, some, some performers. Let's jump in. In a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. Let me redo that. I did not mean to press that button. Oh my good, <laughs> goodness gracious. All right, Scott. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and start us off here with the Homer pick. want to talk about Jason Dominguez, who made his major league debut on Friday as a 20-year-old. Obviously, a uh, very hyped-up prospect from the time he was signed. You know, 16 years old back in the day, and uh, you know, comparisons to Mike Trout and all these kind of legends and crazy stuff. First swing in his major league career against Justin Verlander in opposite field home run on Friday. He finished one for four. Uh, actually, collected a hit in each game this weekend. Then hit another home run on Sunday off Christian Javier. He's 68% rostered. So far, so good. And we've got a segment coming up. The 10 most added hitters from the weekend. No surprise. Jason Dominguez up to 68% rostered. He was the most added hitter. Should he have been? Scott, do you agree with this move getting up to 68%? Because to me, that sounds like he's probably being added in some three outfielder leagues as well. Well, I don't, I don't think 68% is too high. I do wonder if there were some other hitters worth adding more than Jason Dominguez this weekend, which we'll get to, I'm sure. Uh, so I'll, I'll say this. Here's what, here's what we learned about Jason uh, Dominguez over the weekend. One, we learned that he's going to bat every day. Like he's a priority for the Yankees. He started all three games over the weekend. You know, the, the Yankees didn't play on Monday. So obviously we're just talking about three games. We'll be talking about four games for a lot of players. We're only talking about three for the Yankees though. He started all three games. He started two of them as the number three hitter. So clearly getting playing time for Jason Dominguez is a priority for the Yankees down the stretch. We learned that much Two. We learned he's not intimidated up there. As you pointed out, very first at bat, he hits a home run off a slam dunk Hall of Famer in Justin Verlander. Double his uh, age, by the way. Verlander, double his age. exactly double his age. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, clearly, clearly he's not intimidated. He's not overwhelmed by being in the majors. Now, does that mean that he's going to produce? as a 20 year old that major league pitchers as a whole, aren't going to get the better of him. No, that doesn't necessarily mean that. And I will point out, you mentioned it was an opposite field home run, opposite field home run. Dominguez was batting left-handed. He's a switch hitter in Houston. So it was into the Crawford boxes. It was one. I think uh Statcast said it was one of four parks where that would have been a home run. Uh, also his second home run, was 358 feet. So the first was 360. The second was 358. These were wall scrapers. These were not hit especially hard. Um, so I, I think that does paint them in a little bit different of a light. That doesn't mean Jason Dominguez isn't worth adding. Certainly in five outfielder leagues, it sounds like those are already covered given his roster rate. 
in three outfielder leagues, it's not a bad idea to invest in upside, but I could probably come up with 36 to 40 outfielders that I'd rather have than Jason Dominguez right now. So, you know, I hate to say don't add him in those shallower formats, but, you know, use, use, use judgment because I, I don't think we've learned, we have learned some things about him this weekend, but I don't think one of the things we've learned is that he's, going to be somebody who can carry your team. The sixth most hat added hitter on CBS this weekend was Adam Duvall. He's up to 75% rostered, also an outfielder. Would you rather have Duvall or Jason Dominguez? I mean, until it's clear that he's cooled off, Duvall. And it looked like he might be starting to over the weekend, but then he homered on Sunday, and it's like, well, now you're still talking about eight home runs in 12 games or something like that. Uh, so uh, I, I think Duvall is the hot hand to play especially since we're into the playoffs right now in fantasy is the, is the better choice. Two other outfielders, not on the most added list, but also pretty hot. Say Suzuki, two more home runs this weekend, 24 games since that small mental break that he had earlier in August. Say Suzuki batting 337 with six home runs, 19 runs scored and 15 RBI. He's up to 70% rostered and Nolan Jones over his last five games has eight hits, one homer, three steals, still batting 282, has an 872 OPS. He is 66% rostered. Scott, rank the four. Adam Duvall, Jason Dominguez, Seiya Suzuki, Nolan Jones. Yeah, let me see. I'm counting up Adam Duvall's home run to see if I can give an accurate statistic. So that's eight home runs in 14 games now with Monday's game added in for Adam Duvall. Okay, so I'm ranking these outfielders that you want to talk about. Uh, run through them again for me. Duvall, Dominguez, Suzuki, and Nolan Jones. I'm going to go Nolan Jones one. Mm. And I think I'm going to go Suzuki two. And Duvall three. And Jason Dominguez four. I always love when we have an oh my goodness gracious player and then we wind up ranking him at the bottom of the list, right? But it's... Well... We do yeah, have to be realistic with it. Like, it's... I'm excited for Jason Dominguez. It's a top prospect who came up and hit two home runs over the weekend. I think yeah. in general, we should be excited about it. But I right. think, like you said, we also should temper expectations somewhat as well. So well, and you're giving me great alternatives. Sure. Here. Yeah. You know, it's not like you're saying Mickey Moniak or Jason Dominguez, you know? Right. right. Uh, so those are, I mean, Nolan Jones, especially it's baffled me how his roster rate has remained so low because the production has been awesome. And he has the advantage of playing half his games at, at Coors Field. So, uh, you know, I think that's I think that's a pretty easy call. And the thing is, like, even if Jason Dominguez goes off and, and has this historic run for a 20-year-old outfielder that gets him in the early round conversation for next year, it's September 5th. Like, how? when is it going to be obvious that that's happening? And, and, like, how much time will be left in the season that we see that's happening. Oh, well, clearly this is a must-start guy. I, I don't know. I, 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 think, I think the timing works against him, is all I'm saying. All right. Well, from one New York prospect to another, Scott, your player of the weekend. Yeah, so we're going to lead with both the prospects here, kind of thematically. Uh, I'm going to go with Ronnie Mauricio. Now, I told you before the show, just in case anybody's freaking out, I really think the two, oh my goodness gracious, players we should have gone with were Mitch Garver and Royce Lewis. We'll get to them. But like Jason Dominguez, 
Ronnie Mauricio started all three games for the Mets, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They, like the Yankees, had an off day Monday. So we don't know about that. But start all three games, all three at second base. There was some question where he'd play. They bumped Je- Jeff McNeil to the uh, to left field. So it, it does seem like playing Ronnie Mauricio is an actual priority for the Mets. And he stole two bases, too, which is great. It's you know He had more than 20 steals in the minors. It's good to see him putting that to use right away. The, the thing that really made me say, oh, my goodness gracious for Ronnie Mauricio this weekend, though, his very first at-bat. So, you know, Dominguez homered off a Hall of Famer in his first at-bat. Ronnie Mauricio, in his first at-bat, hit a ball 117.3 miles per hour. It, it went for a double, so it wasn't just like a loud out or anything. 117.3 miles per hour is the hardest hit ball for any Met this season. And need I remind you, the Mets have a feller by the name of Pete Alonzo. He hasn't hit a ball that hard this season. Mauricio, his very first at bat, he hits a ball that hard. And so, like, I do think there's been a certain, I think, I think there's been some sentiment. He, he, he's had cold stretches this year. Um, so there's been a certain sentiment that, oh, what's the big deal about Ronnie Mauricio? Why do you keep talking about him? I mean, first of all, he did hit 292 with 23 homers and 24 steals during his time in the minors. But, you know, there are flaws. He doesn't walk much. And um, in the past, strikeouts have been an issue, but not so much this year. He hit a ball 117.3 miles per hour. Like, there, there, there is... It, it's such a small group of players that can do that, and it speaks to the upside he has. I, I feel like he's a guy at 22 years old who did take a leap this year that put him on our radar even in redraft leagues, but there's still more in there. There's still another leap he can take because he, he is capable of, of impacting the ball in a way very few players can. Um if you're the logical next question is probably Mauricio or Jason Dominguez, which would you rather roster? And this is a great way to put it all into perspective. I would rather roster Dominguez. I do think outfield is a greater need for people by and large, certainly in five outfielder leagues and the overall ceiling. I was just talking about Mauricio ceiling. It may be even higher for Dominguez. Um, but if we're, if we're speaking to leagues where 350 plus players are rostered. Both of these guys probably need to be rostered. And that's generally rotisserie leagues with the extra lineup spots to fill. Correct. And Ronnie Mauricio, by the way, that exit velocity, 117.3, not just the hardest by a Mets player this year, the hardest by a Mets player in more than two years. And it was also the hardest hit ball on a player's first career hit in the StatCast era. So, Again, to put all those things in perspective, it was hit really hard and pretty impressive stuff there by Ronnie Mauricio. Uh, Mentioned Dominguez was the most added hitter. Ronnie Mauricio was the fifth most added hitter this weekend. The three hitters just in between them, Davis Schneider up to uh, 54%, J.P. Crawford up to 65%, who hit two more home runs this weekend, continues to have a great second half with the Mariners, and Luis Renjifo the fourth most added hitter on CBS. He's up to 50%. Scott, how would you rank those middle infield options? David Schneider, J.P. Crawford, Luis Renjifo, Ronnie Mauricio. I would rank them. David Schneider, number one. That's your guy? You like that. J.P. Crawford, number two. 
and then Mauricio three, Renhifo four. I think Renhifo, his ceiling doesn't really compare to the others, and he's kind of he's a hot hand right now, and that's fine if you want to use him for that. Um, it, it's a close call between those top two, Davis Schneider and JP Crawford. I think Crawford is especially good in points leagues because the walk to strikeout ratio is so great. He's more than 80 walks. I was, I was uh, commenting on this because I wrote about both of those players in Monday's edition of waiver wire, David Schneider and JP Crawford, JP Crawford has averaged more head to head points per game this season with this recent hot streak of his than Bo Bichette. He has like a 60 walk advantage on Bichette, which is helping to, to factor into that. But no, the bottom line is Crawford has emerged as a certainly a viable starting shortstop. Not quite as useful in, in a standard five by five league because he's not big on you know, he's he's had a decent number of home runs this year, but that's not really his forte. Um so it is a close call between Crawford and Davis Schneider at the top, but I do want to point out with Schneider that uh let's see, what did he do here on Monday? Was he in the lineup? He was out of the lineup. He, he, he pinch hit, went 0 for 1. He had started, uh, let's see, eight straight games prior to sitting on Monday. Had Davis Schneider bouncing all over the place, third base, second base, left field, DH. They've just been looking to get his bat in the lineup. During that eight-game stretch, Schneider hit 429 with three homers, a triple, five double, doubles, a stolen base, and more walks than strikeouts, 7-5 to five for Davis Schneider. So he's working toward picking up multi-eligibility. He's a huge on-base threat. That was true in the minors, too. The exit velocities won't blow you away for Schneider, but as we've talked about with Zach Geloff, he hardly ever puts the ball on the ground. A lot of line drives, which are good for batting average, a lot of fly balls, which are good for power, especially if you're pulling them a lot, which is another thing Schneider does well. So everything he's doing in the minors basically backed up by what he was doing at AAA Buffalo. The batting average, I think, was like in the 270 range at, at AAA, but the on-base percentage was well over 400, and he was hitting for plenty of power. Um, didn't get a lot of prospect attention at all, but I think, I think the way he's he's like hasn't slowed down at all with increased exposure, and, and in particular, the way that the plate discipline has carried over makes me pretty bullish on Schneider moving forward, as long as he can continue to get at bats for the Blue Jays. He could turn out to be a sneaky keeper league dynasty asset as well. I believe Whit Merrifield is in the final year of his contract. So if they can find a way to, you know, have David Schneider be an everyday player at the start of next season, I think it's a pretty sneaky player to have on your roster in those formats as well. Players, uh, hitters 6 through 10 in the most added list on CBS here from the weekend. Mentioned Adam Duvall, he's up to 75% rostered. Royce Lewis, also up to 75%. Mitch Garver, 55%. And then Hunter Goodman and DJ Stewart, more so for deeper leagues down there. But we got to talk about Royce Lewis and Mitch Garver. Uh, Lewis, the dude is locked in right now. Three for five with a sock and a shoe on Sunday. Then went three for four with an, his 11th home run on Monday. His third Grand Slam in the past week. 18 <laughs> games since returning from the IL for Royce Lewis. He's hitting 306, seven homers, 24 RBI, three steals, hitting the ball hard, putting it in the air a ton, and it is 
working out very well right now for Royce Lewis. Mitch Garver, also red hot, four for four with a double dong on Sunday, two for three with his uh, 16th home run here on Monday as well, having a huge second half. Scott, talk to me about uh, Royce Lewis and Mitch Garver. Well, I'm glad Royce Lewis's roster rate is finally getting up there because we've talked about it a lot the past two weeks, how his major league career has been nothing short of uh, studly so far. In the majors, you know, we're talking just a handful of games last year, but in the majors between last year and this year, Royce Lewis is at 314 with 13 homers and 901 OPS. And now a 56-game sample. This for a former number one overall pick who, you know, hits the ball pretty hard. It's not like uh, there's a lot of reason to think he's he's faking this. The plate discipline could be better, I guess. But uh, when you're talking about potential waiver wire pickups, there's that, that's, you know, that's being a little nitpicky, I think. And certainly with what he's done here, with the the grand slams, if you have been starting Royce Lewis in a head-to-head categories league the past couple of weeks, he has carried you in RBI. Like he's he has been one of the clutches pickups you could ask for with those grand slams. I don't think he has a particular like knack for hitting grand slams or anything. I think that's um, you know obviously just a, a bit of a luck of the draw there. But the point is, he's a good hitter, and so he did what good hitters do. Uh, regardless of how many men are on base ahead of them. And uh, it's time to it's time to uh, treat him like a must-start player, whether it's at third base or shortstop. I think I think if we're talking points league specifically, I might actually give the edge to JP Crawford because the plate discipline and they're kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum there, but it's a very close call in that format. It's not a close call at all in categories leagues. Lewis is Lewis is a must. All right. Quickly on Mitch Garver, by the way, mentioned what he's been doing. Uh, would you move Garver ahead of Caber Ruiz, Cal Raleigh, Yiner Diaz? It feels like those are the top catchers we've talked about over the past couple of weeks, but Mitch Garver in the second half batting 307, 12 homers, a 1035 OPS playing every day, batting in the middle of the Rangers lineup, would you move Garver ahead of those names? I think every single one you mentioned, the one hesitation maybe is Ruiz in a points league, but even then, here's, here's what stands out to me about Garver beyond the production, which has been amazing. So this home run he hit Monday was his 11th since the start of August, an OPS well over 1,000 during that time. He had the four for four, two homer performance Sunday. So a huge weekend, but really a huge month and a week for Mitch Garver. But what stands out most of all, this start he made on Monday was his, let me make sure I get this right. It was the, he started now 18 of the Rangers past 19 games. Every single day, Mitch Garver is in the lineup for them, usually at DH, which, you know, his, his, his performance has earned him that, but sometimes backing up Jonah Heim at catcher. But that's more than the typical catcher-eligible player gets to play. And in points leagues especially, that makes a huge difference. So, yeah, I, have, I think Garver is, is – uh, I think you should treat him like a stud going forward. And we forget this because he's let us down so much over the years with injuries and inconsistent playing time and whatnot. I I I, I looked into this the, for their entire careers. 
Garver has homered at a higher rate than Will Smith, which we think of as like the gold standard for power hitting catchers, right? If you just do home runs divided by plate appearances, Garver has done it more frequently than Will Smith. And um, we're seeing the dividends of, of him, of, of him getting the, the bats he needs to, 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 you know, to shine. Last question on Mitch Garver. This is one that a couple of people asked me on Twitter, actually. Would you drop Salvador Perez for Mitch Garver? I think we're at a point in the season, Scott, where if you have big-name veterans that maybe are slumping or you know really haven't been great in the second half, you might be able to go with the hotter hand in, in a shallower-type league. Would, would you make that swap, Salvador Perez for uh, Mitch Garver? Yeah, I think so. Though Salvador Perez did just have a two-homer game on Friday. So I know he was cold before then, but it could change very quickly. And he obviously has an impressive track record of his own. But I mean, the numbers I just gave for Garver, you you think at some point when he has one of these stretches where he's not playing much and he's banged up, okay, when he comes back, he can't possibly as good be as good as when we last saw him have a stretch like that. And apparently so. He's come back and he looks as good as he ever has and he is healthy right now he is playing every day right now so i think i think that's right at the line salvador perez versus mitch garver but as of right now i'm I'm inclined to say i'd prefer garver yeah that would make mitch garver a top six or seven catcher uh rest of season and i think that's fair given the way that he's played a quick oh my goodness gracious shout outs a few of them from this past weekend trey turner the guy just continues to do it right now. I mean, since that ovation in Philly on August 4th, Trey Turner has been amazing. He had three homers and two steals this weekend. He's got seven home runs in his last seven games. And since that date, August 4th, 28 games for Trey Turner, he is batting 362 with 12 homers, 26 runs, 33 RBI, four steals, 92.3 average exit velocity just last week. On CBS, he put up 57 and a half fantasy points. Any quick thoughts on Trey Turner? I remember Corey Seager had a year like this. I'm trying to remember which one it was. Uh, but he was the production was underwhelming all year, and then he just went bonkers in September, which in Trey Turner's case, really, it started in August. We still have you know most of September to go. Maybe he won't sustain it right up until the end, but... Uh, it it's it it certainly changed everyone's perspective on Corey Seager heading into the following season. The fact he was able to redeem himself late like that, and you know, certainly it's proven to be that everyone was right to change their opinion on Corey Seager to buy into that late hot streak because he's gone on to be better than ever since then. So hopefully that happens with Trey Turner. I know I've been skeptical that. He'll he'll be he'll he'll deserve a first round pick next year, or maybe even a second round pick. But I mean, if he keeps this up over the final four weeks, then obviously I'll have to change my tune. Yeah, the overall numbers for Trey Turner: he's up to two sixty two batting average, seven sixty one OPS, twenty two home runs, twenty five steals. Depending on how hot he stays, I mean, he could go. I don't. Can he approach 30-30? I mean, I don't know if he can hit eight home runs in a month, but, you know, he he could wind up somewhere. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he just he, he would, just he would have to do it in consecutive months, right? Uh, but I mean, he's probably going to wind up somewhere twenty five to thirty home runs, potentially thirty plus steals, which is not far off from what we wanted. But obviously, uh, we would have liked it better distributed throughout the course of the season for Trey Turner, Ronald Acuna too. I mean, just bananas type stuff. Uh, Thursday, three for four with a sock and a shoe. He created his thirty sixty club. Friday, two for four with a sock and a shoe. Saturday, one for five with his thirty second home run. Last week, I predicted thirty five home runs, seventy five steals for Ronald Acuna by the end of the year. I might have sold him short, so we'll see where that winds up. He put up fifty six points in fan uh, fifty six fantasy points on CBS last week. As well. Uh, and uh, yeah, Ronald Acuna has been amazing all season long. Let's take our first break. When we return, we will talk about some of the big news from the weekend. We'll do that right after this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Welcome back into Fantasy Baseball Today. Quick reminder to join our FBT Facebook group. Obviously, it's free. You can go to facebook.com slash groups slash Fantasy Baseball Today or just log on to Facebook and search Fantasy Baseball Today. You'll find it. You can join up, ask any types of questions that you have, waiver wire, eh, trades, I'm assuming not happening, maybe Dynasty League trades at this point. But uh, yeah, you can ask any type of questions. And again, for free. Uh, our FBT Facebook group. Last week, I teased that I did an interview with a former Yankee great. You can find that on demand on both YouTube and in the podcast feed. Bernie Williams was the player I interviewed and such a nice guy. Had some uh, cool insight hearing him talk about Jason Dominguez, former Yankee center field legend, talking about maybe the center fielder of the future. So really cool stuff. Make sure to check that out as well. Let's talk the biggest news from the weekend. Shohei Otani's agent on Monday revealed that Otani will need surgery at some point. He will need a procedure. That's how they've labeled it. They didn't say what type of procedure. He said it's, quote, inevitable that something is going to have to happen. And then a few hours later, Otani was scratched from the lineup with, quote, right oblique tightness. I don't know, Scott. Color me a little suspicious on that one, but the timing is very weird here. Your thoughts on Shohei Otani? Yeah, I don't know. I mean... I, I don't know why they'd have to make up an injury to take him out of the lineup, but I, I don't know. They, it, it could be related. Uh, as I've said before, if I was Otani's agent, I would be begging him every day to just shut it down for the season. But maybe that's just me. Maybe that's why I'm not an agent. I don't know. If he does in like if this if this oblique is what you know, it is more than a day-to-day thing, as oblique injuries often are. That's good news for you in our head-to-head matchup in the the podcast league, because I haven't started as my utility player. 
Oh, I know the feeling, Scott. As I mentioned last week, same thing happened to me with Matt McClain. It's, you know, he went on the IL 10, 15 minutes before lineups locked. So that uh, obviously was not great. We'll see what happens with Shohei Otani, but he's going to go for more testing on Tuesday for the oblique. And obviously if he has any type of strain or grade one, grade two, my guess is they're probably just going to shut him down for the rest of the season. The other big news from the weekend, Julio Arias was arrested and charged with felony domestic violence late on Sunday night, and he served a 20-game suspension for domestic violence back in 2019 as well. Arias was placed on administrative leave Monday afternoon. Obviously, it's a very unfortunate situation. Just hate reading things like this happening in, in sports as often as they do, frankly, but uh, and it kind of feels weird talking about fantasy, talking about this from a fantasy perspective. But unfortunately, that's what we got to do, Scott. We're here to talk about it. And uh, Julio Arias is still 97% rostered. My guess is he will not pitch again this season, likely looking at another suspension at some point. Um, what do you think about, do we drop Julio Arias? Do you think we could see like a Ryan Pepio? I know Emmett Sheehan started over the weekend and, and looked pretty solid. Uh, your thoughts on this whole situation? Well, we've been pretty excited about what Pepio's been able to do, so I don't think it's a bad idea to make a play for him if you haven't already. Understandably, if you haven't already, because the Dodgers have been so indecisive what they want to do with that rotation spot. Bringing a guy in, he pitches well, shipping him out for another guy. They have another rotation opening that's obviously going to change the math there. Uh, as is for what you do with the Rias... I don't think it's wise to do anything just yet. I, I agree with you that he's probably not going to pitch again this season, and who knows when he'll pitch again. But there have been times when I thought that about other players, and they weren't out for long at all. So, like, you know, Arias is, is somebody who, if, if he is pitching for the Dodgers, then, of course, he has fantasy value. So I would, I would just uh, hang back for now and, and wait for more information. The other big news from the weekend, Max Scherzer left his last start early on Friday due to right forearm tightness. He did throw a bullpen over the weekend and has been cleared to start this Wednesday against the Astros. Funny the way this works, by the way, too. That matchup will be Max Scherzer going up against Justin Verlander, former Mets teammates. How about that? Um, I actually benched Max Scherzer in our matchup, Scott, the 12-team points league. I had John Gray going up against Oakland, which I... Thought was a pretty awesome matchup. Uh, John Gray, I know he's been a little bit shaky, but I, I just kind of worry about this. Like maybe Scherzer kind of suffers a setback while he's pitching or leaves the start early. It's, I don't know. I kind of felt a little scared. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, the fact they're already saying he's cleared to start Wednesday, I'm not going to say I'm totally at ease with that, but the way Max Scherzer has pitched since joining the Rangers, I'm, I'm obviously not going to sit him in fantasy. Hopefully, hopefully they've uh, they've used uh, all the caution they need to use, and he'll he'll be fine, and we'll never talk about this again. But it it does give me some trepidation for sure. The forearm injury. The Reds promoted pitching prospect Connor Phillips, who is set to start on Tuesday against the Mariners. He's 22 years old. He was the 64th overall pick back in 2020. And this season in the minors, a 386 ERA, a 141 whip, 154 strikeouts, over 105 innings for Connor Phillips. He was much better at double A than triple A, where it was the league he was pitching in where they had the pre-tack baseballs, right, Scott? So 
It might explain some of that discrepancy between his double-A numbers and his triple-A numbers, his Connor Phillips that we're talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. Any thoughts on him? He's 13% rostered. Would you be looking at him, I don't know, in deeper leagues, 15-team leagues, stuff like that? I wasn't really motivated because it seems like a it, it seems like an obvious case of a spot start. They have the, the Reds have several pitchers who are on the COVID IL. Uh, you know, it's apparently making the way through the clubhouse. Uh, Brandon Williamson, that's the, that's who Spot Phillips is is taking on Tuesday. He's one of them. Uh, I can't remember who else is, but Hunter Green is on the COVID IL. Hunter Green and the guy who just came back, Ben Lively. Yeah. I believe is as well. Graham Ashcraft went on the actual IL too. So that's why I'm yeah. thinking maybe Connor Phillips could stick around, but I don't know. I mean, if he pitches well, there's a chance. The other thing is I don't really expect him to pitch well as 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 much as as poor as his control has been. Um you know, I've said that I've said that about other pitchers, and they come up and they're throwing more strikes in the majors than they ever did in the minors. So I guess it's possible, but I I am not I'm not counting on Phillips being a significant fantasy contributor down the stretch. All right, let's talk about the 10 most added pitchers from the weekend, starting with the top five. Jordan Wicks is up to 55% rostered. He had another solid outing at the Reds, five innings, one run, three strikeouts for him. Kyle Harrison, 64% rostered, followed up that amazing performance early last week by giving up four home runs in his third start at the San Diego Padres. He gave up six runs over five and two-thirds innings, um, but through through three starts now, a 470 ERA and a 124 whip for Kyle Harrison. Darius Vines, unfortunately, uh, up to 20% rostered. He was optioned back to AAA on Saturday. Sounds- Come on, Braves. Uh, Come on. Lined up for two starts and everything. What are they doing, man? What are they doing? Yeah. I had to make a lot of changes to the, the sleeper pitchers on Sunday when I updated. That was one of them. Yeah, and it sounds like one of Michael Soroka or Dylan Dodd could take that next turn in the rotation for the Braves. The other two, Matt Manning at 42% rostered, Kyle Hendricks at 70%. Obviously, we'll give Darius Vines the boot here, Scott, but how would you rank uh, Jordan Wicks, Kyle Harrison, Matt Manning, and Kyle Hendricks, four of the top five most added pitchers? I'm going to give Harrison the slight edge over Hendricks. Hendricks is the boring, steady guy. Harrison is the exciting, super high upside guy. Uh, so I'll go Harrison one, Kyle Hendricks two. Those are the two who probably are, are pretty close to must roster. And then Jordan Wicks three and Matt Manning four. I will say about Harrison, there are reasons to be encouraged by this start. Even though he let, gave up six earned runs, even though he allowed four home runs, uh, he went five and two-thirds innings. For the second straight start, he went further than he went in any minor league start this year. So the Dodgers are treating him like a conventional starter, which was a big hurdle to clear. The Giants. But the, the Giants, excuse me, were treating Kyle Harrison like a, a legitimate starter, which was a big hurdle for him to clear, and one I wasn't sure there were he would have a chance to clear. He also walked just two in those five and two-thirds innings, Walks were the other big hurdle for him to clear. He threw 61% of his pitches for strikes in this one, which isn't great, but it's better than the 59% of his of the, of the 59% strike rate he had in the minors. So the biggest concerns we had for Kyle Harrison uh, when he was promoted, this start still alleviated them, even though the 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 uh, final line was bad for him. And I thought. 
uh, Gabe Kapler's quote after the start was telling because he basically said the sort of the same thing. Uh, he said, not trying to discount the outcome. It wasn't a great outcome for the Giants, and Kyle's disappointed about that. But I'm very confident in him going forward. I'm very confident that this, what he d- did tonight, if he does it over and over, it will work, and it will beat a lot of major league hitters. And that was kind of my takeaway as well. So it was, I, I guess, comforting to see the Giants manager say the same thing. Uh, Kyle's, Kyle Harrison's stuff is amazing. If he's able to command it, there are going to be great results. It didn't happen. You know, he didn't get those results over the weekend, but he he was, you know, able to be efficient enough to go almost six innings, and that's good to see. All right. The rest of the most added pitchers from the weekend, Jose Quintana up to 44%. He is in line for two starts this week against the Nationals and the Twins. We had Javier Assad up to 56%. He continues to pitch well. This weekend at the Reds, eight shutout innings with seven strikeouts, 11 swinging strikes on 98 pitches for Javier Assad. He's down to a 269 ERA and a 118 whip. Jesse Schultons, 17%. Scott, did you recommend this guy? Because I didn't recommend him. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out why people were... I know he had two starts. Three but... of good starts there, but we I don't even think we ever talked about him because we knew no. <laughs> we knew there was nothing to see there. Yeah, that's that's a weird one. Tanner Scott is up to 43%, and of course, Cole Reagans continues to climb closer to 100%. He's up to 89% after another great start here on Monday. <laughs> Cole Reagans. Uh, anything else on this group? Let's see. Javier Assad. I feel like we haven't given him his credit, Scott. I know he doesn't get strikeouts, but he's done well, a really that's... he's done a really good job limiting hard contact. He gets ground balls. I don't yeah. know. Are we selling him too short? Well, I did finally feature him in Monday's edition of Waiver Wire on this it, in, after this latest start where he went eight innings, struck out seven. That's the thing. Like my biggest objection to Javier Assad was he's not striking anybody out, and then back to back starts with seven strikeouts. So he started striking guys out. It's as, it's as if he heard me or something. So now this is a five start stretch for him with a one sixty two ERA, point nine three WHIP. It kind of reminds me of Christopher Sanchez in that. It looked like there was nothing to see with this guy at first, but then he starts to have some success and you dig a little deeper and it's like, oh, he has a 48% ground ball rate. It's not Sanchez's 58% ground ball, which is, you know, about as high as it gets, but it, it's still high for Assad. He's still good at putting the ball on the ground and uh, quality of contact he it has, is low against him. I think he's 83rd percentile for average exit velocity. Yeah, that's right. Now, even with that, you know, the expected ERA is not amazing, even, even factoring in that, that, uh, uh, those good quality of contact metrics for Javier Assad. So it still seems like a pretty combustible profile, and I expect he's going to have some hard days ahead. But at the same time, the Cubs have some of the best matchups for pitchers down the stretch, and... I imagine Javier Assad will be appearing on my sleeper pitchers list uh, from time to time in the, the weeks to come. He does have RP eligibility as well, so a SPARP on CBS, that little cheat code for head-to-head points leagues. Scott, I assume Kyle Harrison and Kyle Hendricks are both ahead of Assad. Who would mm-hmm. you rather have between Assad and Jordan Wicks? I think Wicks has more talent, but it's pretty close. 
You're going to force me to pick. I guess I'll say Wix. I think so too. But it's pretty close. Yeah. I do want to point out for Reagan's because, like, obviously he he continues to impress. And in this latest start Monday against the White Sox, one hit in six innings, 22 swinging strikes on 92 pitches, seven on the fastball, five on the cutter, five on the changeup. Five on the slider, which he hardly even threw. That was the pitch that uh, he introduced once he rejoined the Royals' rotation and allowed him to take off like this. So now in seven starts since then, since that return with the Royals, 148 ERA, 0.94 whip, 12.7 K per nine. There probably is an example like this where a guy who, you know, wasn't, He's kind of he's kind of on the older side. It's not like he's uh, this is his rookie season, but he's 25 years old. It's not like he was some big name prospect joining the rotation. He was, you know, kind of kicking around in the Rangers bullpen, not putting up great numbers. Then he gets traded and he becomes this ace. And in every way, like Cole Reagans looks like a legitimate ace now. Like it's 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 really getting to be serious. And I can't, I don't know. Can you think of uh, a comp? A pitcher who did something similar, like he the the he one just, the one that came to mind most. It it's not entirely the same because this pitcher did not get a lot of whiffs, but he was incredibly dominant. He was a league winner of the year that happened, and it was Ranger Suarez who also had amazing matchups. The last three matchups for Cole Reagans, the A's, the Pirates, the White Sox, and he's taking advantage again. It's not exactly the same. Reagans is putting up crazy swinging strike numbers, but if you remember, I think it was the final seven or eight starts. It might've been 2021 Ranger Suarez that year was amazing. So, yeah. And and he also came from the bullpen. Yeah. So that's like the, the most clear comp for me that I came up with. So. I mean, I'm just going top of mind here. I remember Esteban Loiza in 2003. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm like, yeah, I was what 12 years old. I was in junior high school. <laughs> he won 21 games for the White Sox. He led the majors in strikeouts. And that was after he was like a five ERA guy previously. So I, I guess it's not totally unprecedented, but it's, it's worth pointing out. Loiza kind of turned into a pumpkin after that. And I don't expect that to happen to Reagan's. I mean, he did have some prospect pedigree. It kind of, because of injuries in the minors, it, it, it was, it, it kind of was forgotten. Um, but like he just, between the velocity and the fact he gets whiffs on so many different pitches, like he just looks like he looks like he's here to stay as long as he can stay healthy. And as I already pointed out, Reagan's has a pretty pronounced injury history. Yep. All right, let's quickly run through the rest of the news and notes from the weekend. Luis Robert has missed three straight with a right quad cramp, but it sounds like he's going to try and return this Wednesday. Yordan Alvarez banged his knee in the outfield on Sunday, but was thankfully in the lineup on Monday. Good news. Bo Bichette could return from the IL when first eligible this upcoming Friday. He's currently out with a right quad strain. Felix Bautista has received an MRI on his injured right elbow, but the Orioles will wait for the inflammation to subside before a decision is made on his next steps, which doesn't sound too good to me, Scott. I mean, if there's enough inflammation where they they need to wait for it to go down, it sounds kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I, I mean, look, we're, we're expecting Tommy John for Felix Bautista, so if there's any hope of something less, I, I take that as Oof. 
good news. Don't even, don't even say the words. <laughs> Since shivers down my spine. It was uh, reported Friday that Kodai Senga is expected to make five more starts this season as the Mets keep an eye on his workload. He already made one of those five starts. An awesome start on Friday. We'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, that would get him to 29 starts and close to 170 innings for the year. That's Kodai Senga. Nathan Avaldi completed a bullpen session Sunday and could be activated Tuesday against the Astros. He's been out since July 18th with a strained forearm. Shane Bieber threw all of his pitches during his latest bullpen session last Thursday. Max Muncy left Sunday's game due to a shoulder injury. Dave Roberts does not believe it will be an IL situation. Jorge Soler has missed five straight due to right hip tightness. J.D. Martinez is expected to return Friday against the Nationals. Josh Young is hoping to take dry swings before the end of this week. He's been out since early August with a left thumb fracture. Alex Verdugo is unlikely to return to the Red Sox lineup until Friday as he deals with left hamstring tightness. That should mean more playing time for uh, Willier Abreu and Sedan uh, Rafaela, hopefully. Uh, Jonathan India could begin a rehab assignment within the, the next week. He's been out since July 30th with left foot plantar fasciitis. Mason Miller will be activated at some point this week. He threw four perfect innings Saturday at AAA, but only got up to 37 pitches. Sounds like the A's are going to be pretty cautious with him, Scott. I think, you know, maybe he gets up to 50 pitches. I just don't see the A's letting Mason Miller throw more than, I don't know, three to four innings per start. But maybe I'm wrong. It was actually three innings that he worked over the week and not four. He had four strikeouts, okay. so it was even less than that. He didn't go beyond three in his five rehab starts. Yeah, I mean that's that's my take too. Is I don't I, I expect he'll be limited to uh, four or five inning outings, but that's what I thought the first time he came up too, and he went seven innings, six innings, uh, his last two appearances before getting hurt. So I don't know. Maybe they'll maybe they'll be more aggressive than we're thinking again. I think in leagues where you, in, in specifically categories leagues where you, your um, biggest needs are ratios, ERA, WHIP, strikeouts to an extent, that's where Mason Miller is most attractive to me. All right, players who went to the IL this weekend: Riley Green with right elbow inflammation, Graham Ashcraft with a stress reaction in his right big toe. Danny Jansen with a fractured right middle finger. Brandon Williamson and Hunter Green went to the COVID IL. Michael Taylor with a right hamstring strain. Willie Castro started in center field on Monday. And Jason Adam with a left oblique strain. Uh, some quick prospect updates. The Orioles' top prospect, Jackson Holiday will be promoted to AAA at some point this week. In 36 games at AA, he hit 338 with three homers, three steals, and a 928 OPS. Is it just a layover, Frank, on the way to Baltimore? It would that's, make some sense, right? If the if the Orioles the really want to go for it, why why not? Feeling huh? I get. I mean, I suppose if he hits a brick wall at AAA, the way he did it at AA or High A or Low A this year, then that'll determine it. But if he hits the ground running at AAA. They, they haven't really had anybody to pair with Gunnar Henderson on the left side of their infield. This would solve that. And if they think Jackson Holiday, if they think there's a good chance he'll be on the opening day roster next year, why, why wouldn't they give him a shot here in September? If you have a roster spot to play with, I'm not saying I'd add him over Jason Dominguez or anything, but it's not crazy to 
invest in Jackson Holiday at this point. No, it is not. The Red Sox are promoting two of their prospects, Roman Anthony and Kyle Teal, to double A. And the Rangers promoted 17-year-old Sebastian Walcott from rookie ball to high A. Let's take our final break when we return. I've got a few other waiver wire pitchers and some leftovers. We'll do that right after this. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome back into Fantasy Baseball Today. Let's talk waiver wire pitchers. Obviously, we mentioned the most added pitchers earlier on. These are ones that are a little bit lower down the list. The first group includes Griffin Canning, who has turned in back-to-back quality starts. At the A's this weekend, six innings, two runs, seven strikeouts for Canning. Reese Olsen pitched very well, but just didn't have many strikeouts. Uh, Seven shutout with one strikeout this weekend. Dakota Hudson uh, turned in a quality start against the Pirates. Seven innings, one run, two walks, zero strikeouts. It's the most Dakota Hudson start I think you can have. And then Hyunjin Ryu uh, has allowed two earned runs or, or fewer in five of six starts. He was in Coors Field this weekend. Five innings, two runs, three strikeouts for him. It's got any enthusiasm for this group. Hyunjin Ryu, Dakota Hudson, Reese Olsen, and Griffin Canning. Well, I did add Canning and Olsen to my updated sleeper pitchers for this week. Uh, when I when I did do that update Sunday, Canning facing the Guardians, Olsen facing the White Sox, so both good matchups, both coming off good starts. I think there's a better chance Canning remains somebody that you hold on to uh, because we've seen him put up good strikeout totals in the past. He has good swing and miss stuff. It's... You know, he hasn't been the most reliable pitcher, but when he's on, he can miss a lot of bats. And and the Angels have very good matchups moving forward. Of course, he gets Cleveland this week. Next week, they're facing the Mariners and Tigers. After that, the Rays, but also the Twins, who strike out a lot. And in the final week of the season, the Rangers, but they face the Athletics again. So there are a lot of good matchups there if Canning's turns happen to fall on the right days. And, uh, you know, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be a bad pickup? I don't think he's on the level of even like Javier Assad for me, but he's he's right behind that. All right, waiver wire pitchers part two. Michael King had another solid start. This one at the Houston Astros. Five innings, one run, four strikeouts. The uh, five innings and 69 pitches were both a season high for Michael King. He's up to 30% rostered, does have that RP eligibility. I mentioned Emmett Sheehan had a solid return to the Dodgers facing the Braves this weekend. Only went four innings but had uh, only only allowed one earned run, had six strikeouts, 18 swinging strikes on 76 pitches for Emmett Sheehan in that one. And uh, Taj Bradley was recalled by the Rays. 
He was at the Guardians this weekend. Five innings, two runs, five walks, seven strikeouts, kind of more of the same. We know the guy could get whiffs. There's no doubt. It's just, can he limit walks? Can he limit hard contact? He didn't show us either of those things in this start. It's got any interest in uh, these deeper names, Michael King, Emmett Sheehan, and Taj Bradley. Well, King is... I'm curious about King, if he can make this transition to the rotation, if he ends up being as effective there as he was in the bullpen, that could turn him into a, a real fantasy asset. I'm I'm not convinced of that yet, not enough to pick him up outside of the deepest leagues, but I'm I'm certainly monitoring Michael King's performance from start to start. Bradley, yeah, a mix of good and bad in his return to the rotation, and that's kind of been his whole year, so I'm reluctant to invest much in him at this point either. And I'm not saying I'm investing in Emmett Sheehan, but this was, I think, of the three, Sheehan showed me the most. First of all, facing the Braves, getting those 18 swinging strikes on 76 pitches. Seven came on the changeup, which he threw 29% of the time. It's usually about 16%, so he more or less doubled his changeup usage in this. And that's noteworthy because his changeup this year has a 172 batting average against and a 42% whiff rate. It is a really good pitch for Emmett Sheehan. The more he throws it, as this appearance against the Braves shows, the better he's going to be. All right, let's quickly fire up the dropometer. I've got three names here on the list. James Paxton, another rough outing. He only recorded four outs at the Royals. He gave up six runs, and over his last six starts, he has a 762 ERA and a 196 whip. Still 74% rostered, Scott. Where are you at the dropometer? One to ten on James Paxton. I'm going full ten on this. I've been a Paxton apologist, but I mean, if he can't even get through two innings against the Royals, it's over. I can't trust him. I can't trust you. I don't care how deep the league is. Uh, I'd rather have Emmett Sheehan, I think, at this point. All right, speaking of pitchers with great matchups and uh, getting clobbered, Mike Clevenger, are you kidding me, man? Against the Tigers, four innings, 12 hits, eight earned runs, 56% rostered, one to 10 on the drop meter I mean, if I went 10 for Paxton, I guess I have to go 10 for Clevenger because I think I'd still rather have Paxton than Clevenger. Yeah. I, I wasn't really buying into Clevenger in the first place. I, I did, I, I may have had him as a sleeper pitcher because I have to come up with 10, but... It was with a lot of reluctance. All right, and the last name is J.P. France. He was at the Rangers on Monday. He allowed five runs over five innings. He gave up three home runs in this start. Still has a respectable 372 ERA, but this is now two of his last three starts where he's been hit pretty hard. I know there was one start in there where he gave up 10 earned runs. Still 84% rostered. Where are you at on the drop meter for J.P. France? One to ten. All right, so I'll go a little lower on him and say eight, seven, seven point five for JP France. Uh, I do think this start was revealing, you know, because a couple turns ago when he got totally obliterated, we could just okay that happens. But now this is two of three starts where JP France has been just plain bad, and I think it's I think that's reason to believe it's probably regression here. His ERA is up to 372. That's still compared to a 464 expected ERA and a 452 expected FIP. So maybe even more regression to come for Mr. France. All right. Would you drop him for Kyle Harrison or Kyle Hendricks? Both Kyles. Yes, sir. 
All right, let's wrap up with some uh, leftovers here. The pitching standouts from the weekend, part one. Kodai Senga matched a season high with 12 strikeouts against the Mariners. Joe Ryan looks like he's back Friday at the Rangers. Six innings, one run, seven strikeouts with 14 swinging strikes. Freddy Peralta continued his dominant second half. Six innings, one run, 10 strikeouts with 17 swinging strikes for Freddie Peralta. And Mitch Keller looks like he's getting back on track. He was at the Cardinals. Six innings, one run, eight strikeouts. And over his last four starts, a 138 ERA and a 112 whip for Mitch Keller. Any thoughts on this first group? Keller, Peralta, Joe Ryan, and Kodai Senga. Uh, yeah. They're all good. <laughs> I mean, Peralta... Peralta's looked like an ace, and you were you were on this. Uh, I didn't see... You know, I didn't know what to expect for him once he had those first couple great starts because I, you know, I I didn't understand what went wrong for him in the first place that he wasn't doing this all along. But now his last seven starts: one seventy one ERA, point seven nine WHIP, fourteen point eight K per nine, with an eighteen percent swinging strike rate, and it's a seven start stretch in which Freddie Peralta has been as good of a pitcher as there is, and so yeah. I mean, must start, obviously. Joe Ryan looks like he's fixed after taking some time to let his groin heal. Hopefully he's able to, I mean, it certainly appears that he's able to follow through on his delivery as needed to uh, to pitch like he was earlier this season. And uh, Mitch Keller appears to be back on track too. Still with some... <laughs> you know, he had only 10 swinging strikes on 98 pitches despite getting these eight strikeouts in six innings. But that was going on when he was, you know, looking like an ace early in the season too. So it's it's a strange profile Keller has. But I think we've seen an, over the past year and a half, we've seen a lot more good than bad from him. And so I, I think my trust level is, is, is remains pretty high for Mitch Keller with the way he's performed recently. All right, pitching standouts part two. Max Fried had his best start of the season at the Dodgers. Seven shutout innings with 10 strikeouts in that one. Blake Snell put up another scoreless outing against the Giants. Six shutout, three hits, four more walks, eight strikeouts, 21 swinging strikes for Blake Snell. Chris Sale had his best start since returning from the IL at the Royals. Five shutout innings with five strikeouts for him. Did have 16 swinging strikes. His velocity was also down big time. Two plus miles per hour on all of his pitches. But, I don't know. That seems to happen from time to time for Chris Sale. Uh, Tarek Skubal, another dominant start at the White Sox. Seven innings, two runs, seven strikeouts, 20 swinging strikes for him. Anything to add on Skubal, Sale, Blake Snell, and Max Fried? Mm-hmm. Not really. Not really. I mean, I guess Sale is the one people have the most concerns about, but... Other than the outings being short, I've I've liked what I've seen from him. His start this week is against the Orioles, so I think uh, I think I may have sat him in a couple leagues just because I had better options. But I remained pretty bullish on Sale down the stretch, and these others. I mean, Freed seems to be back to form. Scoobal seems to be rounding into form. He's consistently working deep into games now. They're all pretty close to must start, I'd say. Pretty close. Because as I said, I, I did bench sale in a couple leagues. Yeah. Uh, a couple a couple of those really good playoff teams that I have. That's a good call, too, because uh, 
Sale has been crushed by the Orioles this year. I remember his opening day start against them. He gave up seven runs over three innings. Uh, his fifth start of the year, he gave up five runs over five innings. I think I think they also saw him in spring training too. So the Orioles definitely, uh, I think they got the, the book there on Chris Sale. The standouts part three, Bobby Miller had one of his more impressive starts against the Braves this weekend. Seven innings, one run, five strikeouts for him. Justin Steele, made his Cy Young push on Monday. Career-high 12 strikeouts over eight shutout innings for him, 18 swinging strikes on 107 pitches against the Giants. Truly dominant start. Merrill Kelly now has double-digit strikeouts in three of his last five starts. Aaron Savali put up a career-high 12 strikeouts against the Red Sox. Uh, Five and a third, three runs, 12 strikeouts to three walks. I noticed he threw his slider more in this start, so... Perhaps that's the Rays devil magic kind of coming into play here for Savali. And Grayson Rodriguez just keeps churning out quality starts at the Angels Monday night. Six innings, two runs, seven strikeouts. Lots of names here, Scott. G-Rod, Savali, Merrill Kelly, Justin Steele, and Bobby Miller. Yeah, a lot of names here. Uh, an impressive start for Bobby Miller, especially given the competition. I think they're... I think he's... he's I think he's shown he has the kind of upside we're looking for, the kind that could uh, separate him from the glob and maybe make him worth singling out among the glob in drafts next year. But consistency has been an issue, and that makes him a little less than a must-start. Savali, I noticed the same thing with the slider. He's hardly used it at all this year. I think the 16% usage in this was the the most he's had in any one start, but the the numbers on it are tremendous. So if the if the Rays uh have looked into that and are encouraging him to throw it more, I think that's I think that's ultimately good for Savali. And a strikeout rate's been way up since joining the Rays. That's also good for Savali. Grayson Rodriguez. So yes, another quality start. Seven strikeouts. That's actually the most he's had in all these quality starts. And all, all these starts since returning from the minors, Grayson Rodriguez had had no more than six strikeouts until this one where he got seven. Still waiting for that 10-11 strikeout game. I say that and people, like I think, presume, I'm oh, you must be down on Grayson Rodriguez. No, my point is, as well as he's pitching right now, I think he can be so much better than this. And uh, I hope we see it before the year's done. Yeah, he's moved inside of both of our top 40 starting pitchers rest of season. That's Grayson Rodriguez in nine starts since being recalled. 285 ERA and a 104 whip. He has been money. Some quick hitting leftovers. Cody Bellinger had another huge weekend. He's up to 23 home runs, 19 steals. There was also a report that four teams in particular plan to be pretty aggressive on Bellinger this offseason. The Cubs, Yankees, Giants, and the Padres. Kyle Schwarber, he is on one of those runs right now. He's hit 10 home runs in his last 16 games, a 26% barrel rate during that time. Back-to-back 40 home run seasons here for Kyle Schwarber. Juan Soto had a sucko kind of August, but might be bouncing back in September. He's homered in uh, three straight games over the weekend. Marcelo Zuna, also red hot. He's got eight home runs over his last 13 games. Who else here? Uh, Jordan Walker. Looks like he might finish strong now. He's homered in three of his past four games. Uh, Pete Alonso, a double dong on Sunday. Jose Altuve, a double dong on Monday. Corey Seager, a double dong on Monday as well. 
Fernando Tatis had a big game on Monday. One for four with a sock and two shoes. He's up to 22 home runs and 25 steals. A few bullpen updates for the Marlins on Friday. Tanner Scott uh, got the bottom of the 10th inning with a one-run lead. He did give up an RBI single, wound up with the win in that game. And then on Sunday, also Tanner Scott uh, pitched a clean ninth for his fourth save. He's 43% rostered if you're looking for saves at this point in the season. For the Mets on Friday, Drew Smith picked up his third save. Not really sure why they didn't use Adam Adovino or Brooks Raley there. Uh, they last pitched on Wednesday, so felt like they should have been available. But then on Sunday, Adam Adovino uh, did pick up his eighth save, and he is 19% rostered. Still feels like Adam Adovino is probably the uh, the name to have there, if you want any. It, yeah, if you want any. It, it, it does seem like a true committee, though. Maybe the truest committee in all the majors right now, and for not a very good team. Yep. The fact that Ottavino works a lot in non-save chances, yeah, it's kind of a mess. But if I did have to pick one Mets reliever to roster, it would be Ottavino. For the Tigers, they gave uh, Alex Lang two more save opportunities this weekend. He converted on both of them. Scott, would you rather have Alex Lang or Tanner Scott? Tanner Scott, but I think they're both more rosterable than Ottavino, for instance. Yeah, I would agree. For the Cardinals on Friday, the game was tied. Ryan Helsley pitched a clean eighth inning. That's right. He's back with the Cardinals. Jojo Romero then pitched a clean ninth. He came out for the 10th. He gave up three runs and took his second loss. And then on Sunday, Giovanni Gallegos actually got the ninth inning and picked up his 10th save of the year. For the Rangers, Aroldis Chapman, he's kind of going through a funk right now. He uh, got the final two outs in the ninth inning on Saturday with the game tied. He came back out for the 10th. He was charged with three runs. He took his fourth loss. And over Chapman's last six appearances, he has a 794 ERA and a 212 whip. I don't really know where the Rangers go from here, Scott. They don't really have many other options. I think well, it's still Chapman, but I'm, I don't have as much confidence anymore. Yeah, I think Will Smith has five straight scoreless appearances and Jose Leclerc has been uh, pretty much untouched the past couple months. I still think Chapman's their best reliever. I'm hoping they stick it out with him, but they may not. It's been pretty bumpy since they moved him into the role. All right. On Saturday for the Rockies, Justin Lawrence got the ninth inning with a two-run lead. He gave up three walks, a hit, and a hit by pitch. He was then relieved by Tyler Kinley, who got the final out for his first save. And then for the Dodgers on Sunday, Evan Phillips was unavailable. Bruce Star Gratterall picked up his seventh save of the year. Let's wrap up with to stream or not to stream, and we will start with Tuesday, where I believe Kyle Hendricks against the Giants, Jose mm-hmm. Quintana at the Nationals, and right. I'm going to go with Brandon Fott against the Rockies uh, in Arizona. Yeah. In Arizona. Okay, that's defensible. I prefer Dean Kramer. <laughs> Kramer against the Angels, at the Angels, without Trout, of course, and potentially without Otani, too. Yeah. Brady Singer. And without Hunter Renfro. Yeah. Let's be honest. <laughs> Brady Singer against the Angels. Um, I mean, against the White Sox, excuse me. It's probably not terrible. The White Sox are just so bad right now. Uh, and I probably would not use Connor Phillips in his debut. I know some people have asked me about that. It seems a little too risky to me. On Wednesday, we have Jordan Hicks against the Giants. We have Hyunjin Ryu at the Oakland A's. 
And I think that's it. Uh, I know Matt Manning yeah. pitched very well against the Yankees last time out, but now he's going to Yankee Stadium. He's got to face the Martian. I don't know. I don't love it. I don't either. If you were forcing me to pick a third, that would be the third. But I agree that Jordan Wicks and Hyunjin Ryu are better choices. All right. Well, we went a little bit long here, but gosh, four days worth of baseball to recap. There's a lot going on. We're going to wrap there for Scott. I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we will be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.